If you are new here this morning, we want to extend a, a welcome, just a special welcome to you. We're grateful uh, that you're here this morning and that we are able to, uh, to worship together, to, to provide hopefully something for you um, in your growth and your relationship to, to Jesus. If you're looking for a church home, we, we, we kind of think this is a good one. Um, but, but we, we want to see you in fellowship somewhere here in the body of Christ in Sheridan, the, one of the churches that, uh, that celebrate and, and honor Jesus. So, yeah, welcome. We're grateful. Um, I'm doing, we're doing a little different thing here this morning because evidently what I was saying wasn't quite understandable out of the other thing. So I don't really like this, but I'm going to do it anyway. So here we are. Sometimes, you know, that's just how life goes, right? Uh, a couple things before we get started. One is this. Um, you know, I, I've been made aware of, of some things, some, some issues uh, within our school system, books that are available uh, to, to, our, to young people, um, and in, there's, just, there's a lot of stuff that, that has a lot of really questionable content. If anybody would like to, I'm not going to get into what it is right here, but if anybody would like to see any of that, I certainly have some copies and some things like that I could get to you. Um, my, my, my thought is this. Um, I, I think as, as believers and as, as people who are supposed to stand in the gap for the world, um, we need to have a voice and we need to begin to speak up. I think, that, I think that we've been quiet long enough, to be honest with you. But when I say speak up, I, I want to be really careful with that. I, I think that we need to be a voice of reason. I think we need to be speak uh, reasonably. It's not the, the loudest voice wins kind of a thing. We need to avoid that very much. But, but I think that we do need to begin to to speak up and to speak into the culture because it's what we're supposed to do as believers. We're meant to, to uh, disciple the culture. There's a lot of rhetoric out there about book bans. You probably heard of that kind of stuff. You know, that, that, it's rhetoric. Though, though, that, that's speech that incites ideas of Hitler and things like that. It's, it's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is, is what's, what's, um, what is good for our kids, uh, what, what, is, um, what is reasonable to have within the schools to... To, to put up there, and so um, I would just encourage you to to write to your uh, to the to the school district uh, to the school board, and and just write some thoughts on it, um, and, and just remind. I think that we all need they just need we need reminded that that we're to stand in the gap for our kids, and we're to do what's right and what's good for them. And sure, there's the whole world out there where they can get all kinds of stuff, and we're not trying to regulate that. But what what is brought into the schools and what happens in the schools is our business. It's our kids, and, and I think it's, uh, it's time. It's time just to say something. Again, if you can't say something reasonably and respectfully, don't say something, okay? But if you can present or be the voice of reason and present uh, the truth in love, then let's start to speak up. Amen? All right. So we are going to journey into here this concept of heaven and, and, and we've called this first one, Know Your Product, because in all reality, I think when it comes to heaven, the reason I called it Know Your Product is because we're salesmen with no idea about our product at times. As a matter of fact, there's just a lot of things that have crept in to our idea and our thoughts about heaven and what heaven is. And, and, and the Bible teaches a, a lot of things about heaven that we can know and that we can understand. So the big question is this. I ask you now, as we start, are you looking forward to heaven? Good, good. You know, in, in reality, to be honest with you, there have been a lot of times, I mean, even up until fairly recently, where, where my thoughts on heaven would have been something like this. Of course I'm looking forward to heaven. And you know, I'm a Christian, and I'm, 
I'm supposed to want to be with Jesus, right? And that's absolutely the pat answer. But in reality, where I was really at was it was kind of like, well, you know, yeah, but after this or when this plays out in my life or we get past this spot, then we can, you know, then, then we'll go there. But, but, but really, I've got some things that are here on this earth that I, I want to see or I want to attend to or I want to experience um, before I go do that. And, and so I get it. That, that's where we're at. But I really think that some of that stems from, from kind of a little bit of a misguided understanding uh, about heaven. Um, the, the book that we're going to draw from it, through the whole series is this book. It's, it's by a guy named Randy Alcorn, and it's simply called Heaven. And Randy Alcorn spent 20 years uh, studying heaven the concepts of heaven in the Bible, and then reading, I guess, every book he could find that was written on heaven. He said he read, a, read 150 different Christian books about heaven as he prepared for this. And this, this book right here, this very book, this one right here, sat on my bookshelf for at least 10 years, and I was always going to read it. It was just one of those things. Um, I, w- I was just going to read it. It was one of those books I was just, I've got a lot of them. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I got a lot of books on my bookshelf that are like that. They're like, they're there. I want to read them. I haven't gotten around to it. This one sat on my bookshelf for 10 years. In March of 2021, I was compelled to begin to read this book. I picked it up off of the shelf, and I just started reading it. I had no clue that in June, June 15th of 2021, that I would have the worst Tuesday of my life, the worst day of my life, to find out that I lost my daughter. And now I look back and I realize how God was preparing me for what I didn't even know was coming. And, and, and this book became a great source of, of comfort and healing, not just for me, but for our whole family, really, on, on a lot of levels and stuff. And so, so I thought, you know, after kind of being challenged, when, when, when death comes and, and it lands on you in a hard way, um, we're challenged with these things, and each and every one of us either are or will be challenged with the realities of that. Having lost someone close to us or being diagnosed with something that's terminal, because the reality of it is, is that the death rate in America is 100%, right? It's the, it's the thing. It's the great equalizer. It's the thing that we won't get out of, right? Um, as a matter of fact, um, I think that they say, and I don't know how this works. I'm not smart enough to know this, but if you are, come help me with this. 1.8 people die every second. <laughs> so I don't know how they work the 0.8 part. But anyway, that aside, that's 106 per minute, 6,392 per hour, and 56 million per year. And, and so this is a reality that, that death is this thief and that it's come in and, and, and it's it's come against us. And heaven is this wonderful, beautiful antidote to death, right? The cross and all of these things. And we're going to talk about those things. But I want to share with you a little bit here. I want to share with you first a little bit. I, I don't share a lot of stories about the kiddos. I try to leave them kind of out of my sermons. But I am going to share this one. One was that when Tristan was really little, um, he told Anna, he said, I don't really want to go to heaven. And, of course, you can imagine what that did to a Christian. Oh, my baby doesn't even want to go to heaven. He doesn't want to go. So Anna, but Anna, Anna talked to a friend who's in counseling. And, and, and the friend just said, look, 
Here's the problem. The problem is this. A, he has no concept of eternity. And B, he has certainly no concept of eternity apart from boredom, from just it being something that drags on forever and ever and ever. And so this is, this is part of, of what plagues us kind of in our understanding and our thoughts and our desire for heaven. Uh, fast forward just a little bit. Tristan gets a little bit better about the concept of heaven. And this is before uh, Caleb had prayed to receive Jesus. And, and, and Tristan and, and Caleb are in the back seat. And Tristan is kind of evangelizing Caleb and, and, and trying to, you know, talking to him about Jesus and, and, and where he's at with that. And, and Tristan just says to, to Caleb, he says, don't you want to go to heaven? And Caleb says, no, I want to watch TV all day. And so Tristan said, well, look, in heaven, like, if you want to just fly, you'll just, you'll just fly. Or, or if, if you want to get, like, if a dirt bike, like, you wanted to ride a dirt bike or something, you would just think about it, and one would just, like, come up underneath you, and you just ride off. He said, you want to go to heaven now? He said, yeah. <laughs> but you see, when we start to think about heaven, we start to think about it in terms that we can't relate to. And we need to start thinking about heaven in much more relatable terms than what we tend to. Because heaven and our experience ultimately in heaven is going to be much more familiar to us than what we really think about. It is going to be flesh and bones. It's going to be on the earth. And we're going to talk about that. But you see, there's a reality. See, we're always seeking heaven somewhere. We're always looking for paradise we have it on our calendars, on our pictures, all of those things. Your idea of paradise, whether it be tropical paradise or mountains or whatever that looks like to you, we're always seeking and trying to, to find this place, this place where it would be, we would want to spend forever. And, and, and then we're, there's this longing in us for home, you know, like you go on a really long trip and, and you've been gone a long time and maybe it's a great vacation, Maybe you actually went somewhere that was a tropical paradise, but still yet, when you get home, you're like, yes, I'm home, and home feels so good, and there's nothing just like your own bed. There's just this yearning for home. There really is just no place like it. The other thing is that, that within us, there's this, there, there's this angst about the world that we're living in. There's an angst about what's going on, an angst about death and suffering and these kinds of concepts, and these are things that don't sit well with us because they're not supposed to sit well for it with us. As a matter of fact, we weren't created for those things. We were created ultimately for heaven, for a relationship with God and for eternity. But something stepped in, in the way of that and broke that up. Well, I was supposed to switch slides a second ago and show you that one. That one was the one about Caleb and, and Tristan. And that idea, too, that, that, that again, because, because heaven and the way that we tend to think about it, it becomes just this nebulous thing, this thing that we can't identify with, this thing that we just can't understand. It becomes inhuman. It becomes boring. It becomes unappealing to us. The idea of just being a disembodied spirit out somewhere flitting around on the clouds some little big fat cherub or something with your harp strumming it on the clouds. These kinds of things are things that don't engender in us a desire for heaven and for eternity. Because we can't relate to that. You see, you can't relate to any of that because you weren't made for that. You weren't made to live like that. We were made for something different. 
So when we start looking at heaven in a different way, we start understanding that, man, I was made for these things. I was made for certain things. And there's a reason that we love the tropical paradise, and there's a reason that we love things like mountains and oceans and those kinds of things is because we were, those, things, those things were actually made for us. It's our home. It really is meant to be our home. So when we love the bighorns and everybody's about to escape out of here for the summer, uh, at least by the end of July when the snow melts, and, um, and, and just go and, and spend time up there and just be there. And people say, well, this is my church, right? Ch- my church is up in the mountains and stuff. It's because we, we love these things. We're, we're drawn to it because it's our home. It, it's part of who we were meant to be. So... What happened is that a long time ago, uh, uh, Randy Alcorn talks about, he calls it uh, Christo, or Christoplatonism, and it has kind of its beginnings too, and if we see the Gnostic belief and teaching and stuff like that, the idea that the flesh is just evil and the spirit is good, right? That the flesh is just terrible, it's this evil thing, and there's a reality now, and we'll talk about that in a second, that, 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 that sin has become an add-on to our flesh, but that how it wasn't how we were created. We were created, and the flesh was created good, right? All of the days of creation end with that statement. God did it, and it was good. And then there was morning and evening, and he did his next stage, and it was good, right? And so, but, but when we get into this idea of Gnosticism and Greek teaching, it was very much the idea that, that, that the flesh is awful. And you do one of two things with the flesh. You either totally deny it or you abuse it. But either way, it doesn't matter because what's real and what's eternal is the spirit, right? And so we've been taught this whole time, and we're going to talk about it, that at death, we just go away. And we, and we go away forever to heaven. And we never think about heaven in more personal terms than that. Heaven just becomes this destination where we just go to and we have no means or no way to relate to it, to be attracted to it, to really be drawn to it. And that was both Tristan and Caleb's and our problem with heaven. So when we began to think about it, we began to think about it in terms that just were like, I don't know. Do I really want to go? I don't know. I don't know if I want to go there. I know it's supposed to be good. I know it's going to be better than anything. Can we even really understand it, right? Because that's where we're at here with, with uh, 1 Corinthians 2.9. However, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. And so you say, well, try. We can't, we can't, um, right here it says we can't really understand heaven because, well, what, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived God has something better for us than that, and that's the truth, but it's, it's just a partial thing. You see, we could never conceive of it. We could never get it. We could never come up with this, but God has revealed some things about it that we can't understand and that we can look at and that we can understand. So while we could never have come up with this, why it's greater than anything we can imagine, and it's still going to be greater than anything we can imagine, even when we get done with this, We can understand and we can look at some of the teaching of the Bible and what the Bible teaches about it. So, how we see heaven determines very much how we live here on earth, right? If if we don't have a longing for heaven, 
then we'll invest everything about who we are and our lives into the systems of this world, believing that it's better somehow. And, 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 but what is the call? Really, the call from Scripture is to seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, right? Uh, the, there's promises. The meek shall inherit what? The earth, right? These kinds of things. And, and so we want to be a people who really understand the product and we're excited about it. You hear terms, they, people say things like, well, they're, they're just too heavenly minded to be of any earthly good, Right? I, I think that's not the case. I think that's a bad statement. I think it's the opposite. I think we're too earthly-minded to be of any heavenly good. We're supposed to be a church and a people who make heaven a crowded place. But if we're not excited about it necessarily ourselves, um, then how are we going to be any heavenly good? Um, John 14.1 One through three, little click. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may also be. So what is heaven? Well, heaven is this. Heaven is where God is, okay? That's where heaven's at. Heaven is the, is, the, is the throne room of God. It's the, it's the place where, where God dwells. In the Bible, the word heaven is used for about three different things. We see the heaven is, is referred to as basically the atmosphere. It's referred to as kind of the whole universe. And then it is referred to as the, as the home of God, the place where God is. So ultimately, for us as believers, our real home and our greatest desire is to be with the Lord and to be with him where he is at. So, um, where are we at? We are at the curse. Now, the curse, let's go back and let's look at, and let's look at the whole thing because it's really important to try to understand the whole of, of what we're doing because this is, a, this, is a whole, this is a Genesis to Revelation kind of a, of a message that we get out of this. Uh, Romans 8, 18, really quick, tells us this. It says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So what's that saying? That's saying this. It's saying that heaven is greater than our greatest struggles here. That the struggles that we have in this earth and on this place, they're very real. They're ones that we didn't ask for and we don't understand on many levels but that the promise is greater. The promise is greater than what uh, our problems are here. That one day that they will seem but just like that. It'll seem like just a small, just a, uh, just a ripple in, 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 in our lives. And we will realize how God was at work and what he was doing. In our greatest struggles, in our greatest sufferings, we're going to understand at that point how God has woven our story into this whole tapestry of what he's doing. And, and that's going to be an amazing thing. But you see, um, everything fell in the fall. When, when, when the fall came, we've got to understand that what, what did God do? What was his beginning? His beginning was to create what was good. And he created what was good, and he offered us eternal life in relationship to himself in a garden. And, and a garden was a, is a physical place. It's just described as a, it's a physical place, and we had work to do. We had purpose. We had relationship and all of these things. 
and we see that we chose, instead of uh, sticking with God and his authority in our lives, we chose rebellion. There was a tempter in the garden, right? And, and the temptation was this. Did, did God really say to, to make God sound unreasonable and, and, and beyond uh, what was right and reasonable and good for us? And, and, and then there was, oh, well, God knows that in the day that you eat of the fruit of that tree, that you'll be like God. There was this idea that we could cast God off, that we could be God apart from God, and we could go our own way. And when that happened, when we took and we ate of the fruit, something devastating happened, and it happened to the whole universe. It didn't just happen to us as people. What we have to understand is that there was a, a far-reaching consequence that happened, and everything about the creation fell at that point. All of God's creative work fell, and it fell under a curse. But the promise is greater than the curse. Everything fell in the fall. And what happened was that then we were limited. God was gracious enough, and he would not allow mankind to live forever in a sinful state. And let me tell you, that's a good thing, right? That's a gracious thing. But God, so God blocked the way to the tree of life, and he expelled us out of the garden, right, out east of Eden. And, and this is the place where, where we live now, but God has made a way that we can still have access to him. And that we can still experience him forever in heaven. And that's through the cross, right? And so, so we see on this far end, we see this original intention. And then in the middle of the history, in the middle of the story, we see the cross, this way back. There's this means by which Jesus, by paying for the penalty of sin, is, is, gives, infers upon us, those who trust in him and believe in him as Savior, he infers righteousness to us. And now we once again have access to him and to life with him forever and ever and ever, okay? We live in the already but not yet as believers. And in this world even, the story of redemption is not yet over. It's not yet done. It's not complete. And as Phil said this morning, actually, the story of heaven is an unending story. Every story that man or people come up with has an ending, but this story has no ending. The bad news is this. The bad news is the opposite to heaven, which is hell. And we have to understand the reality of that. We have to understand that the Bible teaches very clearly that those who are apart from Christ, those whose sin has not been atoned for by the blood of Jesus on the cross, will owe their own debt at the end of this thing. That they'll stand before the judgment seat of God and there will be a bill or a debt that is due that is too great for them to have to be able to pay. And then there's hell. And hell is this. Hell is, hell is the opposite of heaven. And where heaven is goodness and love and relationship to God, you see, hell is, is none of that. It's the absence of God. There is no love there. There, there is no purpose there. It, it, it's a place Jesus referred to as a place with, of weeping and gnashing of teeth. That, that it's an unpleasant, it's a horrible place. Jesus, it, it's referred to as a place of torment. And that's different than torture. It is not referred to as a place of torture, which would be external. It is a place of torment, a place of internal pain, weeping, and gnashing of teeth. The absence of all goodness. And this is the reality. This is the hard lesson. And the reality as we talk about heaven is that we have to understand that people were created for eternity. You're created to live forever, and you will live forever somewhere. 
either in the presence of God or in the absence of God. And the people that are outside of there, our, love, our, our neighbors, our family, our loved ones, our, our community, this is the same for them. They'll either live in the presence of God or in the absence of God. This is why we've been given the Great Commission and why we as a church are meant to go out of the doors here and speak about heaven and about God in a relationship with him. This is how radical the fall is and how huge the scope of redemption is as well. You see, it's this massive loss, but then it's also this amazing redemptive story that, that God is writing for us right now. Colossians 3, 1, 2, if you then have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. So what happens right now? How does this work now? Well, basically right now, and we're going to talk about this next week. It's good. We're going to call, the next week is called Heaven Now. So we're not going to go into this, into this with a lot of detail, but basically, look, there is an intermediate heaven kind of a thing, so that when we do leave here, we do leave here, and we do go somewhere else, and we exist there in the presence of God. I believe that the Bible teaches very clearly that we go immediately. Jesus on the cross, with, uh, as he was talking to the, 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 the thief on the cross next to him, he told him, you'll be in, in heaven, you'll be in paradise with me today, Right? Second uh, Corinthians five six eight. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So Paul's uh, stance on this is to be absent from the body, to be dead, is to be present with the Lord. Right. So. Um, we want to look at that. We want to understand this. Um, we, right now, have the Holy Spirit in us, right? So in that sense, we're, we're not absent from God. But we are talking about kind of more eternal dwelling places or the state of us as we pass out of here. You see, the reality of it is, is that we were always meant to be a spirit and a physical body. This is how you were created to be. As a matter of fact, if you look back into Genesis, what you would see is that God first took the dust of the earth and he formed a body. And then it says he put a soul in that body and then it became a living being. It became a nefesh. It became this living being. And this is different from how God existed then as just spirit. Later, God becomes flesh as well, and ultimately what we're talking about is the unification of heaven and earth, but we were always created to have a physical body. So when we go and we live in this intermediate heaven, we are awaiting the final resurrection, which is the joining back of our physical body. It's kind of like this. It's a, it's a layover, um, Randy Alcorn has a good analogy. He says, look, if you were going to, to Hawaii next week and, and you, you had a layover in Los Angeles, when you were telling people about where you were headed, you wouldn't say, I'm going to Los Angeles. You would say, I'm going to Hawaii, but there would be a layover in Los Angeles. It's much that same way with this intermediate heaven that we're going to talk about more next week. For right now, heaven and, heaven and earth are now separated 
But ultimately, these things are going to be united in the, when, when the restoration is made complete. So how does it work in the end? Well, Job talked about this. And I know I talk about this a lot, but, but it's such a good thing. Job 19, 25 through 27. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last, he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another, my heart faints within me. Oldest book of the Bible, and it's talking about the resurrection of the physical body. Job is saying, my greatest hope, what I'm looking forward to, what I know is going to happen is that I have a Redeemer who is purchasing me back, that one day he will stand upon this earth, and I will see him in my flesh. I won't just see him with just a spiritual sense. I will see him in my flesh. I shall see God and I will see him for myself. What does that say? That says two things, that you will be you one day and you will be in a physical body. That ultimately in the resurrection, you see this is a picture of the redemption of the whole thing. Of the whole picture of, of taking the curse off and redeeming not just us as humans, but redeeming the entire universe and the entire earth and all of these things at once. It's the restoration of Eden is what we're looking at when we look into the end of the book. And it, it, we see it both in uh, Isaiah and also in... Uh, in Revelation 21. 2 Peter 3.13, but according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And see, this is where we get hung up. We get hung up on the idea that we're just going off to heaven, and it seems like we're just staying there. But you see, that's not the picture. That's not what happens in the end. What happens in the end is that heaven and earth are joined back together that there's a reunification, that they're united once more. That we see that basically what God is going to be doing is that he is going to restore Eden to its prior intention. See, God isn't having to have a, a plan B. He's not losing in this deal. He's going to restore it. He didn't lose when you and I fell into sin, when we fell away from him. When we, you No, know, he, he had a plan to redeem and to restore us, and he's going to redeem and restore everything. The earth, the garden, as things were. We're going to live with God, and life is going to be like it was prior to the fall. Sometimes we start to ask questions. There's a lot of questions out there. Are animals going to be in heaven? Well, why wouldn't they be? Why wouldn't they be? Seriously. This was the original intention. This is what God did originally. We know there's horses in heaven because Jesus is coming back on a big white one, and so do we get to if we get to go up before him, right? And there's all kinds of stuff, too. Don't get me wrong. When we start getting into eschatology, oh, my gosh. There's all kinds of thoughts and ideas on that, right? There's, there's, there's pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, premillennialism, post-millennialism, amillennialism, dispensationalism, all of these kinds of different confusing things. But really what I believe is this. I'm, I'm a, I'm a premillennial guy, okay? I believe that Jesus is coming back, and I believe that he's coming back to set up a real kingdom on this earth. So if you're post-millennial or all-millennial, you, you, you don't really believe that that's going to be the case. You think that, that we're going to actually hit kind of a, a Christian age of golden age of Christian ethics and right living and stuff, and then Jesus is going to come back. But I don't know. <laughs> I don't see that. But, but anyway, I don't see that when I read scripture either. But anyway, what, what, what's going to happen is that at the very end, 
at the very end of this thing, God is going to restore all things back to what it was originally meant to be. And, and, and we're going to live. There's going to be a joining of heaven and earth. The prayer that we've been praying for so long, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. Now, the Bible talks about this idea of a new heavens and a new earth. And I know there's some stuff in, in, in uh, Peter that talks about the destruction of, of all things and stuff, but I don't think that's what it's talking about. As a matter of fact, it's the same verbiage that's used when it talks about the flood and that God destroyed the earth with the flood. He, he really didn't. He purged it is what happened, right? He didn't destroy all things. He purged it. And so I believe that when we start to talk about a new heaven and a new earth, what we're going to see is that God is going to purge everything that is not of him out of this place. And he's going to renew it. And it's going um, to be amazing. I think it might even be quite familiar. Will the bighorns be there? I don't know why not, to be honest with you. I mean, maybe they won't be, and that'll be okay. Don't, don't get me wrong. I don't know all of these things, but why wouldn't they be? See, because his creation was good. It was good. It wasn't a bad thing. And, and, and so if we're talking about restoring these things, see, everything is going to have an upgrade, right? You think, man, I don't know if I want to live in this body, right? Especially the older we get, we're like, I'm pretty sure I don't want to. But trust me, it's going to be the upgraded version, right? There's going to be an add-on. It's going to be a 2.0 version, and there's going to be no pain, no sickness, no sorrow, no death. All of those things that, that come in, and they just give us such angst. See, the picture is that all of those things are going to go away. Are we going to recognize each other? Are we going to know each other? I think absolutely. I think we're going to have relationships for, with one another, See, and I don't think that honestly, see, one of the problems that we have sometimes as we begin to think about this is we think, oh my gosh, try, he doesn't shut up anyway. I can't imagine being in a church service that goes on forever and ever and ever and ever and ever, right? You see, we can't think about those kinds of things without getting bored. But I think that heaven is going to be far more than that. The, the Bible's very clear that we're going to have work to do. There's going to be continuity between what we've done here is going to go on. And the works and the things that we do here and the people that come to Christ and the things that we do are going to go on and on and on and on forever. And there's going to have effects that go from this world into the next. As a matter of fact, you know, I don't know what you think, but you're not going to know everything when you get there, okay? I know Corinthians talks about that we'll know in full just as we've been fully known, but you will not know everything that God knows. And you will never have grown spiritually to a place of becoming God's equal. We're not going to get there. So forever and ever and ever, we're going to grow spiritually. I believe we're going to innovate. I believe that the technology and who we are and our abilities to think and innovate and create are God-given. And I think that we'll do those things forever and ever. But imagine when our technology had no sin effect to it. No greedy effects to it. That everything that we did and innovated and, and, and worked towards was for the flourishing of everybody. You see, because this was the original intention. You see, God gave us this blank slate in the beginning. He gave us a world. He gave us the earth. And then he gave Adam and Eve these, these commands to go out and subdue the earth, right? Go out and multiply and subdue the earth, Go out and see it flourish. Go out and steward over it. Go and see humanity flourish in this world. 
See, we're not living like that now because of the fall, right? I mean, even though we have the technology to feed the world right now, we won't do it because it's not of economic benefit. We could feed everybody. We could, we could provide the world with fresh water. We could provide the world with sanitation. We could do these things. They're possible, very possible. As a matter of fact, the church could do them. As a matter of fact, with money left over. If the church gave, if, if we gave on a, on a global scale, like, like God calls us to, we could easily deal with those problems. So you see, part of our job was to go out and to, to subdue the earth, to multiply, and to see everybody flourish. What happened in the curse? Well, now the, the, what we were supposed to go out and subdue is, is growing weeds and thistles and thorns. There's a curse on the land around us. And then there's pain in childbirth, the multiplication that was supposed to go off, that we were supposed to do. You see, there were consequences to all of those things. And one of these days, all of those things are going to be removed. It's all going to be changed. It's going to be made new. Isaiah 65 New heavens and a new earth. Isaiah 65, verse 17, Behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. And the former things shall not be remembered or come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall there be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. Revelation 21, you'll hear it's pretty familiar. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more, and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. So we see this picture, this thing, this, this continuity from the Old Testament into the New Testament of this confirmation of what God is going to do one day. That one day, this amazing city, New Jerusalem, is going to descend. And maybe that's part of the intermediate heaven where everybody's hanging out now, but one day it's going to come, and it's going to come to the earth. And it says that God's dwelling place, the place where God is, which is heaven, will be with us. And we'll live on the earth, and we'll live in resurrected bodies, and we'll have work to do. And everything will be glorified, man, the earth, the entire universe. We'll have a continuity of, of what we've done and where we're going. I want to read a quick excerpt to you from, from this heaven book. And it's just him kind of thinking about what it might look like. And he just says, so look out a window. Take a walk. Talk with your friend. Use your God-given skills to paint or draw or build a shed or write a book. But imagine it all, all of it in its original condition. The happy dog with the wagging tail, not the snarling beast beaten and starved. The flowers unwilted, the grass undying. The blue sky without pollution. 
people smiling and joyful, not angry, depressed, and empty. If you're not in a particularly beautiful place, close your eyes and envision the most beautiful place you've ever been, complete with palm trees, raging rivers, jagged mountains, waterfalls, or snowdrifts. Think of friends or family members who love Jesus and are with him now. Picture them with you walking together in this place. All of you have powerful bodies, stronger than those of an Olympic decathlete. You're laughing, playing, talking, and reminiscing. You reach up to a tree to pick an apple or an orange. You take a bite. It's so sweet that it's startling. You've never tasted anything so good. Now you see someone coming towards you. It's Jesus with a big smile on his face. You fall to your knees in worship. He pulls you up and embraces you. At last, you're with the person you were made for in the place you were made to be. Everywhere you go, there will be new people and places to enjoy, new things to discover. What's that you smell? A feast, a party's ahead, and you're invited. There's exploration and work to be done, and you can't wait to get started. It's going to be something like that. It's going to be something greater than what we could ever think of or create or imagine ourselves. But God has told us that he has a plan and that that plan is in these bodies, living as both physical and spiritual beings the exact way that we were created to be, living on the home that he gave us, creating, working, doing in a redeemed, restored uh, Uh, redeemed, restored, resurrected <laughs> earth and heavens. All of it redeemed. All of it brought back to what God originally had in his mind for it to be. So we're going to be hitting these things. That's kind of the 30,000-foot view. We're going to start hitting these things in more detail each week. Next week, again, we'll talk about what is heaven like now. What about this intermediate heaven and what can we know about it according to Scripture and then each week, we're just going to keep journeying through this. And we're going to talk about the, the resurrection of the dead and the new heaven and the new earth and the work and all of the things that God has for us to do. Uh, Lord, we just thank you. We thank you that you have a plan, that you've always had a plan, that you knew that even as the creation fell into disarray, that you had a way of, of redeeming it, that you sent your son so that heaven wouldn't be something that was blocked off from us forever. You sent your son to, to pay the death on the cross that we deserve, to shed his blood that we might have a covering, that we might not go to hell, but we might go to heaven because of what he's done. And Lord, then you've, you've, you've created that and you've told us that you stand ready to redeem all of it, to, to make it a restored and a redeemed place and that all of the things that we struggle with and the things that we hate the death and the suffering and the sorrow and the pain and the tears, you tell us that you take all of those things away. And you tell us, Lord, that you love us and that you've gifted us with good things, that you have a plan for all eternity for us to spend with you. So we're grateful. We're thankful for this day. We love and praise you, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.